Good morning, good afternoon. How you doing out there today? This is David Robert for the Marketplace of Ideas podcast. Today is June the 21st, if I'm not mistaken, 2022. We're here rocking and rolling, loving life, living the dream, as it were. Um, If you hear me huffing and puffing again, I am on my bike, stationary bike here at the end of the long day, getting ready to get in a bit of a workout in. But just wanted to drop this episode here, talk about some stuff within arts and culture, which is what we're about here on the Marketplace of Ideas podcast. Just want to let you know before we get started, you could find the Marketplace of Ideas podcast wherever you get your podcast from Google Play to Stitcher to iTunes to Podbean. We are there. We are. Yeah. So we've got some some good stuff coming. And like I said, tomorrow we're going to try our um, our online, uh, I guess, our YouTube um, uh, marketplace episode. So hopefully that goes well. Uh, so look, stay tuned for that. And we also have more stuff coming on the other podcast, uh, the Adult Fitness Podcast, where we've got stuff cooking there, as well as a third one that's going to be debuting this summer uh, in July, Lord willing. And it's going to be all about Area 51, UFOs, you name it. Uh, the Loch Ness Monster, you know, it's, it's going to be fun. It's going to be some, it's going to be some wild stuff. So uh, today we're going to be chatting about something that um, actually came to my, uh, my brother and I used to talk about this quite a bit growing up. And what it was, was basically when we would go to museums or we would see sort of um, curations or art displays from other cultures in the land that they're not from, be it a Smithsonian or a, you know, uh, just something at a museum from another culture, we would always bemuse the fact that this looks, you know, this is probably the spoils of some sort of looting. How is it that a country like Britain or Australia could have stuff from indigenous Africa or Asia and nobody say anything? And so there was this one scene in Black Panther where Killmonger, uh, played by Michael B. Jordan, his character was uh, at the start of the movie, uh, relatively at the start of the movie, and he was talking to the curator of this museum about this axe that was, um, you know, taken from Wakanda. And he was asking how much the axe was. And the lady looked kind of shocked and said, well, it's not for sale. And then he said, I wonder what, you know, your people you know, got for it. Uh, he probably got a good price and alluding to the fact that, Hey, this was probably stolen from a country that was colonized and put on display to kind of show, showcase the, um, if you would, if I guess you could say the, uh, the spoils of war, you know, so a country that was conquered, that was, um, conquered that went under, you know, the conquest of a, of another, you know, another government, another a monarchy, perhaps, and now they were showing off what they had stolen hundreds of years prior. And so in the movie, he, I don't know if he kills the lady, but she drinks something crazy in her coffee. She falls down and he grabs the axe and they, they book it, which happens to be made of vibranium. So nonetheless, fast forward and I'm watching, I'm listening to a podcast about called Stuff That The British Stole. 
And it's a great podcast if you ever want to check it out on, on iTunes. I don't know if they're still uploading episodes. Um, it's been a while since they have. But in it, they talk about the complexity and the moral implications of museums and displays and traveling displays and items that were taken from cultures and communities and countries that had been either, you know, um, dominated and you know, brought to heel by other countries and now their goods and all of the stuff that they had from their culture are on display, you know, um, so in museums and things of that nature. And it's brought to, to question the efficacy of what it means to, you know, um, what I, I guess what I'm trying to say is, is that when we look at history, it is a charnel house of horrors. We see the Ottoman Empire, the Egyptian empires, the Roman empires, the uh, what was done. What I mean, the the travesties that were that were you know laid to bear upon the Scottish people from the Brits. You see what the the, um, the Tutsis did to the oh my gosh the war in Rwanda. I can never pronounce the the name of the other group of people. You see what Britain did to India, what Britain did to America. <laughs> what Britain did to almost everybody, you know, um, it's the idea that, you know, the story is told by the winner and the people that were, you know, taken over, gave up their rights and were usually paraded around the streets before their soldiers were either castrated or killed or thrown to the lions. And that's how, that's how, how it was done. And so in today's modern age, in some parts of third world countries, we still see that going on. But when it comes to G7 countries and more modernized economies, we wonder what is the moral hazard almost? Well, I don't want actually not moral hazard, but what's the morality of people going to museums and going to art shows and looking and paying, you know, ticket prices that can be quite hefty to museums of stolen goods, of things that were essentially stolen, taken um, or acquired through dubious means. And it's brought us to a place that is, I mean, uncomfortable, but also something that we have to square the circle around. And so in doing research for this, um, which was to be honest, like five minutes before I started recording, I found a really interesting article if I could find it. And it was in Sorry, just one second here. It was in the town and country. Um, Let's see if I can get it here. It's a really interesting sort of take on what has been going on. um, just, Just within the last number of years. And so this was, let me see. Ah, here we go. Art and Culture News. This was by Town and Country Mag. So it's a very, very, um, very uh, cool looking website. I really like it. And in it, there is an article that talks about it here. Smithsonian to return Benin bronzes to Nigeria. So I'm just going to quickly read it here. It This story dropped on June the 16th, 2022. And then it says, in a precedent-setting move, the Smithsonian has agreed to uh, repatriate pieces of the Benin Kingdom, 
court-style artworks to their homeland. So the Smithsonian Institute voted to um, repatriate 29 of its 39 Benin bronzes to Nigeria and plans to return to Nigeria's National Commission for Museums and Monuments at a later date. It is, it is yet unclear what the institution plans to do with the remaining 10 bronzes. The Smithsonian Institute said on Tuesday they plan to return most of its collection of Benin bronzes. The decision to uh, repatriate the artwork comes after the Smithsonian's new policy of ethical returns, which created guidelines to apply to the institution's more than 155 million objects. Benin City has been advocating for the return of its treasures for decades. In July 18th, I'm sorry, in July, 18 Benin bronzes were already removed from their cases at the Smithsonian's Natural Museum of African Art. Director Nagar Blank, uh, Blankenberg told the Washington Post, I have a visceral reaction to seeing things that shouldn't be on display. I wanted to make sure that negative reaction wasn't felt by anyone else. The looted pieces were subsequently replaced by uh, photographs and a sign that re reads in part, We recognize the trauma, violence, and loss such displays of stolen artistic and cultural heritage can inflict on the victims of those crimes, their descendants, and broader communities. Now the Smithsonian has agreed to return the collection to Nigeria. Once they arrive in Nigeria, they will be displayed at the National Institute. National Museum of Benin in Benin City. The final details of the agreement are still being worked out. This is about a new possibility. The repatriation is about past violence and harm, Blankenberg said. I don't believe it ends there. We have to stop the harm and imagine a new way of working, of how we can do this differently together. Many of the 39 pieces of art are linked to a British raid on Benin City in 1897. As the Smithsonian website explains, during the raid, the British confiscated all of the royal treasures, giving some to individual officers by taking most to auction in London to pay for the cost of the expedition. The looted objects eventually made their way into, muse into museum and private collections around the world. The Smithsonian is not the first museum to re repatriate art to Benin. In March 2021, the University of Aberdeen, if I'm saying that right, became the first cultural institution to repatriate Benin bronzes, which it announced it would send back to back back uh, would send back its sole Benin bronze. In April 2021, Germany promised to begin returning the Benin bronzes held by state-run institutions this year. In June 2021, the Met, which has some 160 items from the Benin City, returned two Benin bronzes to Nigeria. In November 2021, France, too, returned looted artwork to Benin, agreeing to return 26 pieces of art, including the 19th century throne of Benin's king, uh, Guiezo, French President Emmanuel Macron, promised to return African heritage Af I'm sorry, promised to return African heritage to Africa. In 2017, during his visit to Burkina Faso. Okay, let's see. At the return of the university, at the return of the University of Aberdeen's Benin Bronze, Benin King Omo Noboa huh, Niedo Uku Akopolokoplo 
Iwar, I can't, I'm not going to, I'm not even going to try to butcher his name. I'm sorry. Said, much has been said about the significance of heritage, art, and in spite of the occasional attempts in some quarters to downplay their cultural and religious relevance, these works are often endued with the spirit of the people from whom they were taken. The king added, we hope that other institutions worldwide will see the injustice when they insist on holding on to items, which in fact should be a reminder to them of the great injustice that was inflicted on a people so far away and so long ago. So that in itself is really interesting because for the most part, we've never had honest and very cogent discussions about museum items that had been taken hundreds of years ago and what are the ethics behind it and i think this is awakening a new space in our culture a new space in our uh, in the zeitgeist if you would about who owns culture you know if it belongs to a race if it belongs to a people and if artifacts from that culture have been taken in war no lo no matter how long ago it was it is the right choice to return those articles back now some might say hey you know what i bought this fair and square on the open market um i paid a very hefty price for this and it is something in which i do not wish to part with it's been in my family for generations and so on and so forth but I think it, it just goes to show that regardless of what somebody, you know, has or, or doesn't have or has purchased or, ha or, you know, or however they got it, at the end of the day, if something belongs to a culture and it has been taken from that culture, regardless of who owns it now, the right thing to do is to return it. So I'm going to, um, I, I saw another little clip here before, um, I don't want to, um, you know, uh, go too far on this, on this issue here, but um, let me see. Mm hmm Here we go. So, uh, duh, duh, duh. there we go. So this was written in McLean's on June 22nd, 2021. So just a little, um, backstory here in... The last two years have been just a dumpster fire of, you know, like just a grease fire of crap. And last year, there were the, the conversation of residential schools, of colonialism, and how the indigenous people in Canada in particular have been treated for the last, for, since the start of, of Canada as a nation for a hundred plus years came to the forefront when at a uh, former residential school, I believe in Kelowna, Kelowna, BC, there were found the um, unidentified graves, some, some identified, some not, of close to a hundred and some odd children, you know? And so that kind of shocked a nation that had been grappling with race, racial discrimination, um, stateside with the death of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, excuse me, uh, Ab, 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 I can never pronounce his name properly, Ahmed Aubrey. And so there was more of a sort of a, a social consciousness 
and a almost an awareness of almost an acute hyper awareness of of you know the wrongdoings that have been done to to people of color particularly in in Canada with our aboriginals first nations inuit and metis and so on and so forth and so the revelation of this hit like a sledgehammer because regardless of how you feel about you know um, how Canada was founded as a nation these were children all right children that were taken away from their homes around the same age that my children are and forced to reject their culture their language their way of life their names how they talked what they ate and their whole culture in general and the sad and disgusting sick and just plain vile part of all of this was that the conditions of these schools were horrendous the um, the states in which children were held were just atrocious and which led to the abuse, sexual, physical, psychological harm that was done to these children like babies, you know, five and nine and ten year olds. And to add insult to injury, if by way of these abuses a child would end up dying, the, the respect of returning the child's body wouldn't even be, you know, thought of by some of these you know a good majority of these of these schools were run in conjunction with the catholic church at the time and so you have this this mixture of sewage with government the church trying to subjugate and subdue a people to remove them from their culture their heritage their language and to quote john a mcdonald the father of our confederacy here in canada to remove the in the child from the indian to take him out of being savage and, you know, and teach him the white man's ways. And so that hit like a, like a two by four to the, to the, to the face last year. And there was such an outcry. So with all of that, you know, thrown in there, we started hearing talk about, well, Hey, what about, you know, all the art that had been taken, all the, the blankets and, you know, um, skins and moccasins and all, all these things that, you know, showcase the beauty and the immense just wonder that is the Aboriginal First Nations Inuit experience. How, why is that still on display to be seen and to be profited from, from the colonizers? It just, with, with all this talk of truth and reconciliation, it just didn't, it didn't gel. It didn't match. And so I checked out this article here. Uh, this was written by McLean's uh, just last year, June 2020, uh, June 22nd, 2021. And it talks about Canada's museums are slowly starting to return indigenous artifacts. So we're just taking a quick read here. The Western world is growing, is, is under growing pressure to confront issues around the rightful ownership of art and artifacts in Canada. That reckoning has just begun. After surviving European incursions, colonialism, and a 500-kilometer journey from its home, a 171-old beaded hood must wait a bit longer before it can go back to... I'm not even going to try to pronounce this name. Um, this gentleman... Uh, to this community on James Bay Cree territory in North Quebec. The pandemic has a way of interrupting plans, especially those involving travel. But the COVID-related delay is a drop in the bucket compared to the decades-long wait for this living piece of Cree heritage to be returned to its rightful owners. Over the last 70 years, the rare and fragile hood had appeared in various exhibitions at the Lassine Museum in Montreal, 
was featured in showcases with other indigenous artifacts in the 1950s and 60s and later restored in 2009. But researchers at the, again, I'm not going to try to pronounce this, at the um, Cree Cultural Institute in Ojibwe, again, I'm not going to try, um, Quebec, learned of his existence only a few years ago. While scoring one of the museum's catalogs, made of cotton and wool, it is in, in intricately decorated with a colorful glass with colorful glass beads in the 1850s when it was made the hood would have been an important part of Cree spiritual life worn by its owner during weddings or ceremonies marking the return of an important hunt it created this huge excitement amongst the entire team recalls Sarah Pass the cultural institute's former executive director who was supervising the research team at the time of the discovery. We just knew we had to bring it home. We, we knew that it belonged, that it needed to come back and be reunited with the community where it originated. The search that led to it was part of a painstaking initiative on the part of, of the Cree to reclaim artifacts that tell the story of their people. One that reflects a growing, uh, repatriation movement that could have a profound impact on museums and cultural institutions across Canada. Uh, the, the team had put out a worldwide call asking museums for any information on their traditional hoods, which since the start of the 20th century had only existed in the memories of Cree elders. Within Canada, members of the team traveled to museums in person, scanning exhibit catalogs and searching old records for any hints that might point, to this, point the way to a surviving hood. The La Sheen Museum seemed a promising source. Part of its collection focuses on the fur trade that brought Europeans to James Bay Creek territory in the 17th and 18th centuries. The researchers obtained a paper copy of the institution's exhibit catalog and were back at their cultural center in Ojiwe, about 500 kilometers north of Montreal, where they came across the entry. It was a moment loaded with historical resonance. The hood, after all, symbolizes a culture that colonial settlers had sought to suppress. Many people in our communities had never seen one, says Pash. Now they had a chance to repatriate it, and the city of Montreal, which owns the Lacine Museum, was eager to help. After Abel Boussom, the Grand Chief of the Grand Council of the Crees, E.U. Istichi, I, I can never pronounce that, I'm sorry, formally asked for the hood to be returned, rep repatriated, the city of Montreal agreed. Mayor Valerie Plant, Plant said the return of an item that carries such an important historic significance was an act of reconciliation and a step towards aiming to establish government-to-government -government relations with one another. Once the pandemic allows for safe travel, the hood will be returned to the Cree Cultural Institute where it will be housed permanently. So the Western world, the Western world is grow is under is under growing pressure to confront issues around the rightful ownership of art and artifacts as historians, indigenous leaders, and social justice advocates seek to address the historical wrongs that led to misappropriation, from the plundered from the plundering of art by the Nazis to the systemic harvesting of indigenous artifacts dating back to the earliest days of colonial exploration. In Canada, that recognizing has has just begun. A handful of Nazi looted pieces that made their way to this country after the Second World War have in recent years been restored to their original owners or their descendants. 
Through what has been a mostly ad hoc process, in some cases, families hired private firms to track down and identify their missing artwork, and then spent years negotiating with museums to get their claim recognized. In other art museum, I'm sorry, in others, art museums have identified Nazi looted pieces through their own research and reached out to the rightful heirs to offer restitution. An even greater, more contentious challenge, though, will be um, repatriating the countless indigenous pieces accumulated over the centuries by cultural institutions, big and small, often in concert with private collectors. The latter issue has taken on a new urgency as political leaders vow to address the injustice of our past. However noble their intentions, their promises are undermined by the fact that Canadian museums still hold the spoils of colonialism. Their glass display case lined with objects taken by European settlers as, tre- as treasures of conquest. While the question of, Cree, of the Cree Hood's rightful ownership was dealt with amicably, resolving other cases promises to be a long and fraught process. Some institutions may delay or resist because parting with the disputed items would devalue their collections, but more likely because they don't have the money to pay for lengthy expert, um, expert, expert investigations. For certain items, determining provenance may prove impossible. Frustrating demands for restitution were the pieces gifted, traded fairly, spirited away without a word, or just flat out stolen. That's if there's a process to speak of at all. The main roadblock at large scale, uh, the, the main roadblock at to large scale restitution in Canada, says advocates and art experts, is the absence of a properly funded program to support museums investigating their own collections, while also helping indigenous communities with the expense of recovering lost belongings and building facilities to house them. What's more, there's no binding legislation requiring museums and galleries to return cultural artifacts, which means restitution only happens in hap, only happened only happen in Canada if there's goodwill on both sides. Other countries have taken a more hands-on approach, and advocates note that while there is a broad-based agreement in Canada that wrongfully obtained pieces should be given back, those good intentions won't amount to much unless the government makes the issue a priority. There is nobody who would say, well, indigenous people don't have a don't have a right to their heritage, says Pash, but she believes authentic action on the issue would require legislation that opens up collections to scrutiny, plus money to pay for the time, travel, and expertise needed to assess the pieces. That, she says, along with an attitude that says we have to provide indigenous communities with knowledge about what's in our collection and ask them what they want us to do with them. So the article um, goes on for quite a lengthy bit here, but you kind of get the gist that we are in a time period right now where people are starting to ask questions about the institutions and the monolithic governments that we all are a part of, which means, are we going to stand firm and say, look, what was done happened. We cannot change that. So by no means is this a way to erase or to, you know, kind of whitewash the past into thinking that, you know, like I I remember growing up, I would see um, these pictures of settlers coming to see Aboriginal people at the first Thanksgiving, you know, and they were sharing corn and cornucopias of, of, uh, of the harvest, you know, and they were, and it was all amicable and they were coming together. And it's, it's as much bullshit as the, the tale of the antebellum South after the civil war was lost by the South by trying to repaint the, um, the horrors 
of chattel slavery to where people said, hey, you know what? It wasn't that bad. Black people had it pretty good. What are you talking about? They had three square meals a day. They were working. I mean, like that clip from uh, Blazing Saddles where the guard says, um, when you guys were slaves, you sang like birds. You know, It was like this feeling of you were having a great time. And hey, it wasn't that bad. And it wasn't just a, it was just a little slavery. Right. You know, your artwork isn't that important, you know, to your culture and your heritage and your way of being. So people are starting to wake up to the fact that this is some crap and we cannot be a society that claims to want to move to reconciliation, to truth and honesty in all aspects of our, of our, I guess you could say of our culture now, but still be entertained by objects and artifacts that have been taken, right? Under some various dubious means and put on display. It doesn't, it doesn't jibe. And so I think it's high time that people, you know, call these institutions into account. We're talking from universities to museums, to art exhibits, to um, traveling art shows, to private collections. You know, um, we, you heard what was going on with the Nazis and how they stole art, artwork from, from gypsies and Jews and people who just didn't agree with the, with the, with the Third Reich and how they've been tracking it down. That goes for gold and everything else. And I think, I think that needs to be something that is really pushed forth. And, and to be fair, these museums who have all this stuff, yes, they, they risk losing a lot of value for this stuff. So a lot of this stuff is insured, right? So, you know, if you have a museum that has over close to a billion dollars worth of artifacts and you give most of that back, what happens then? You know, what is the, what is the, the ramifications of the Met giving away all of their their indigenous artwork. Do you really want to go to the Met? You know, and and can now the the, the countries and the communities and the the cultures and the tribes of those people who are actually a part of it can they actually get their stuff back and display it in a way that that respects it and showcases it? You know, in a better light. You know, obviously it's much better to have these, these things in the cultures in which they were created and this artwork by the people and the descendants of those people that made it. So while some people might decry this as just more uh, liberal, woke ideology, you know, uh, trying to whitewash the past, I think it's definitely something that needs to be looked at further, particularly in this day and age where we're so aware and ultra sensitive to what's been going on culturally with our first nations and indigenous peoples and people of color that every country now that has suffered under the rule of the British Commonwealth or, you know, suffered under some form of, of war and has gained their independence should, should now be demanding those art pieces back, those statues back, those, those pieces of clothing, those things that meant so much to their culture should be returned. And if not, the public outcry should be, you know, um, should be right there with it. So this is definitely something that we'll look at further, further down the line because, you know, uh, stuff like this, like they said, I mean, there's a lot of stuff out there and a lot of things in private collections that, you know, have been either 
purchased or bought at estate sales or, or you know, um, gifted to communities. And the question is, where do we go from here? In my point of view, I feel that it should be returned. However, I feel that governments and institutions that these things are, are owned by should work together so that somehow, you know, yes, like the, the, the museums that have this stuff, obviously they may, they may have paid a, and, and acquired it by legal means, you know? So it's, it's almost like that, that feeling. I had this discussion with, um, with somebody recently where we were talking about the land that had been stolen, right? And acquired through colonialism that is now Canada, the U.S. Um, there's no way you can get that land back. And it's just not even a possibility to remove all the people off of it. So where do we go? Do we just say, oh, okay, well, tough luck, you know, I guess we move on. Or do, do you kick all the people off of the land and return it back to the people who owned it? And what happens then? Like, there's a lot of questions about how long... How, how long should time have passed before, you know, we, we move on from, from, from past issues and, and pains and wars, you know, do the modern day Hebrew slash Jewish people, you know, go after the Egyptians for what they did to them, you know, the, you know, the back in the days of the Bible, do we, do we look at the modern day Italians, which were Romans and the people they screwed over and vice versa, like, it's, it's, it's a weird, it's a weird place to be. That being said, um, I personally feel that it is, it is a really good thing to have people, um, recognize the wrongdoings of the past and try in some small way, because again, we're not going to change what happened and this is not going to cause, you know, like the, the, the horrors of what took place to get these artifacts, you know, into the possession of museums and what have you, but at least it's it's a it's a it's a move in the right direction for recognizing what what was done was wrong you know um we can make all the excuses we want about you know taming the land and you know coming to a newfound land and a newfound country but the fact of the matter is that things were were done that were just wrong and it takes it takes a society, a progressive society moving forward to recognize that and try to find new ways to move forward. So, yeah, you know what? Uh, again, this is something that is is definitely something that we'll be talking about in future episodes. And hopefully this added some value to value value. Oh, my gosh. Value to your day. And until next time, want to let you know that you can find us wherever you get your podcast. Like I said, Google, Stitcher, Podbean, uh, look for us this week on YouTube. It should be interesting. Uh, But until next time, take care and be good to one another out there.